Welcome to CTO Coffee, um, the podcast where we talk about humans and people in tech. And today I'm very, um, very, very excited um, to talk to April. Um, April hails from Berlin, where she also studied humanities, arts, and social thought, um, lots of stuff. Um, during her studies, she already started working in tech companies in QA roles and transitioned into working in that field full-time after graduating. And Nevertheless, the humanities never really left her. And so she published a super interesting talk and paper in 2017 titled Ritualized Behaviors of Guilt and Moral Indignation in Social Media. Social Media, sorry. Social Media, that's an interesting one. <laughs> However, after working as a senior QA engineer for several years, she decided to switch roles and careers and completed a developer bootcamp end of 2019, so end of last year, and is now working as a developer um in berlin i guess and so yeah welcome april um so glad to have you um thanks uh thank you for having me um do you maybe want to also tell the listeners a little bit about yourself mm, let's see well uh, i've been living in berlin for 10 years now i think i've actually seen the changes in the tech scene, although I wouldn't say that I have such a, a deep view into how all of these investments and, and businesses are going, uh, I can at least point to the trends that happened um, in every uh, job change that I've had uh, throughout the years. Um, I think it's it's quite interesting in the fact that in Berlin, um, it was when I started, it still felt like a nascent tech scene, um, and that there was a struggle to prove Berlin as some sort of European Silicon Valley. Um, I think in some ways that is still um, that's still the goal for some companies. Uh, especially because a lot of people say, oh, the, the, the scene hasn't produced as many unicorns um, as Silicon Valley, which personally to me doesn't make sense. If it's a unicorn, it shouldn't be as many. Um, but of course, now there's some sort of like standardized definition of about like something to do with valuations. Um, and I would just say that from my experience working in the industry, I've gone from different products from ad tech to social media and social networks, market research, and now I'm in fintech. So I do have quite a bit of experience just working with different products or working in different domains, but my expertise expertise still remains in quality assurance yes yeah super interesting um yeah when we talked earlier um like about what we're going to talk about what we are interested in and, and, and so on um yeah i think your your experience and what you also kind of touched upon already um is very interesting especially when thinking about like what what is it 
generalist? What is a specialist? Like, yeah, looking at, yeah, that you started out in this field, then switched into this field, and now even something totally different again. Um, so, um, yeah, maybe let's start at the ending kind of still. Um, so what factors like influenced your decision to go down like this generalist route and now, um, yeah, working, trying to work as a software developer? Um, well, I think at first it wasn't so deliberate, primarily because I had a training in the humanities and philosophy. Um, and I was working in a tech company. So uh, a lot of what I've learned was on the job. And partially it was trying to figure out where I could, well, in my early years, it was trying to figure out how to remain employed. <laughs> um, and then, of course, as I actually grew into, into my own role, it was trying to figure out where my efforts would make the most impact. Um, and as a QA, I... I've faced a lot of challenges that were not even that related to the technology itself. A, a lot of the times it was about uh, problems with communication, um, just having the type of soft skills to manage um, working in different teams or trying to figure out what's really important for the business. And so these are the type of concerns that won't necessarily be the focus of somebody who's entering the industry as a software developer. Primarily because there's the expectation that if you're a junior developer, you're there to learn um, good coding practices and dig deeper into the tech stack that you're working with. Um, and, uh, I would say at least now, so I had this, uh, brief experience of looking for software developer positions, uh, and it was my concern at the time that, um, what, what types of, um, tasks and what kind of expectations are there for junior developers? Um, because, uh, I would like to. I would like to be confident that the company that I would work with would invest in my growth. Um, and as a QA, I feel mine was like an experience of just a wild, wild west experience <laughs> precisely because nobody really understands what to do with QA when you enter a company. They just know it's, it's two, two things, you know, they either need QA on paper or they need QA and they don't know it. <laughs> and they just lucked out or like, yeah, we should probably get a person. Um, and a lot of the times my, my sense is that it's not just the testing parts, not software testing. We have to dig deeper in where, which actual issues are, where are the issues coming from? Was it because you know, product specifications were not that good or people don't feel empowered to actually voice their opinions about the impact of what they're working on. Uh, it's, it can go in, like, it, we can go into a philosophical discussion about architecture even, and <laughs> it would still not resolve the problem of quality in a company. 
Um, it is just one factor of that. And this is why I do feel in, in many ways I am a generalist, even though I try to learn more about a particular technology, which uh, for now I've chosen as the, I've chosen the JavaScript stack. Um, and I think it's actually a bit tougher having chosen this in the sense that uh, I think I've read some, a couple of articles where people have this JavaScript fatigue because there are like too many frameworks and like, when is it enough? What, how can you call yourself as a, a proper JavaScript developer? Um, and it seems like a, a bottomless pit of things that you have to dig into where I, I'm more of like this, well, let's like, let's try this and then fly around and do other things. Uh, so I, I don't think I actually answered your question. <laughs> but I, I think you did. And you also touched upon some, so many things, but yeah, sorry. I, I would say there's a benefit to being a generalist which is that um, there's plenty of opportunities to feel more engaged with your work or to be more engaged with your work. You don't get easily fatigued by just, well, actually it really depends on the person itself. Like it's either you see how, how the moving parts are in your organization and then you see that, well, we are in deep trouble <laughs> and we have to bail out. Or you're also a person who's like, um, actually, let me just roll up my sleeves and see where I can help. Um, but I would also say that this is highly dependent on how an organization values a generalist among their rank. So... I think it's really when you're interviewing or looking for a position, you need to be to invest a, a, a good amount of time trying to figure out if it's a good fit or not. Yeah, that's super, super interesting. Um, like you brought up this one point now, um, like based on your training, based on your um, studies in the beginning, you were... Um, Tell me if I'm putting something in your mouth that you didn't say, but um, putting worth in, in your mouth that you didn't say. But um, like because of your not technical um, background, you were actually like more open to actually figuring out what is your impact, where you can have the most impact instead of just assuming like, okay, of course, I've, I'm technical um, by training. And so I'm doing technical work and that's, yeah, of course, the, the, that's where you can um, yeah, leave the biggest impact or make the biggest impact. Um, and I think that's, that's actually very powerful um, because, yeah, like mm, people who've listened to other episodes might know that, yeah, my, my belief is I, I feel very strongly about this whole thing of like, um, yeah, the non-technical aspects, the soft skills um, that they actually provide much higher leverage for yeah for success of a project or for making an impact so um yeah coming from from this point of view that you just provided like sounds actually very like i said powerful and and interesting um and yeah raises the question of how can we em empower people to 
to actively think about how can I make the most impact instead of just assuming, yeah, I'm going to write code because that's the way to make impact. Well, I don't think there's necessarily something wrong about being like just, okay, I'm this technical person. Um, uh, I would just say maybe it's like coming from different ends um, of a spectrum if when you're working in the tech industry. Because eventually, you know, if you are, if you started out as a developer, what I've constantly seen is that senior developers are expected to develop these soft skills. They can't get stuck in just being the coder. Um, and thankfully, I've worked with amazing um, experienced developers who demonstrated to me what it means to to actually have this kind of knowledge and view that they care about the business, they care about the industry um, their product is in and that they're not siloed from the rest of the company. It's like taking interest in what operations is doing or what the salespeople are doing, how the company presents itself um, and what kind of what kind of results the company can deliver to its customers. Um, and these are all outside of learning about a particular technology or a particular tool, um, but they've come to develop it in their work experience. Um, would I say that that's the demand now? I, I also think that it depends on the leadership of the company, but I would say that it's a pleasure to work with people who have this profile and this kind of experience. Um, Cause you know, you don't, at least for me, I, I don't have this thing where like, like I have my career on blinders and this is where I'm going. That's it. I, Maybe because I was, I began as QA and I've seen so many other QA engineers move into different roles that the path to product management was open to them. Agile coaching was open to them. Software development was open to them. It's like, ah, okay, I'm at like this crossroads where I can choose where I want to go. Uh, and it just felt like ah, all these roads are open to me. And, uh, the longer, the longer I stayed in QA, um, I actually felt like it's not so much that these opportunities are open that makes it enjoyable to be QA. It's more that, uh, now I'm in the position to see the kind of contribution I could make even like as QA to all these other paths that other people are taking. I've had a colleague who switched from uh, from QA to product management, and uh, though I hated losing him to another team, I I really did feel like this uh, combination of like there's always this need to bridge this language of business with the pains of building technology, because somebody 
this is probably a common story. Somebody's going to come up to you and like, hey, you're a developer. You know, I have this brilliant idea. And then <laughs> you're like, oh, that, you can't build that. There's, there's no way. Or at least like, I can pay you 500 euros for this thing that I'm thinking about. And I'm like, yeah, no. Uh, like maybe give me like yes. 5,000. <laughs> we can start talking. Or like the, the cost of building something not just building, maintaining something, making sure that it works and that it's up and running <laughs> yes. in like two weeks from its release is highly, highly uh, vague <laughs> and obscured. It's highly obscured from people who are not exposed in, in, tech, in tech teams or software development project. Um, maybe this is also why when people hear <laughs> yes. AI, they start fearing for their futures where it's like we 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 really should be talking about artificial intelligence and we should fear certain things about it but it's not because of like there's going to be a terminator type of a future ahead of us <laughs> um so um yeah it um, make makes a lot of sense um so it it sounds like um what you're saying is also that um yeah because people um all, all the people that you just mentioned like switching roles and um if they coming from QA or not um people who've worked in several roles they probably can provide a lot of a lot to their teams their organizations their product um because they yeah, can provide or have a higher kind of empathy for for whatever somebody else on the team, some some other role is is doing. Um, and and yeah, and I think that's that's also like very powerful way to think about this. Like the moment you've worked in at least two different roles, um, you are automatically like almost i mean you didn't say that i'm saying that but um like in the position to provide yeah more impact to whatever you're working on or whoever you're working with because you can bridge that understanding gap much much easier um so that's that's actually very powerful and and at the same time i kind of assume you've experienced that in your recent um search for a job uh, for a developer position um that people don't really understand that like they don't see that at least when when interviewing like they yeah a lot of people still very much come from this like specialist point of view like you have to do this you have to know that skill or you have to have that knowledge and if you don't have that then you don't fit into this nice tiny comfy box of developer or QA or product, whatever. Um, That's true. But I also just one thing to say, it's like, I, I don't, I can't imagine that there would be a very effective team where you don't have specialists either <laughs> so it's like yeah yeah that's true it will take you a bit longer to to get there if you just have generalists so there, there's just i i really do think there's a it, it's just my personal preference um but the concern i think maybe is that um 
it's it's the way specialists are being used uh maybe uh, oh that sounds wrong yeah but like is it's the way they're positioned in 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 the company where what is expected from yeah, them yeah yeah exactly so because and also at the end of the day i think maybe uh it's the way we perceive specialists it's like anyone who's to be a specialist you you've had to put in years to be an expert and for sure you'll also have plenty of other things to say <laughs> on other matters it's just that you're being employed for one particular thing yeah yeah i, I was not trying to kind of like discount that and and trying to say that um there's no place for specialists far from it of course but rather that people are very trained in like seeing and appreciating specialists and like it's easy for them to see like okay that kind of person can provide yeah. us like these javascript architecture <laughs> skills like doesn't even make sense but um yeah you know yeah. what i mean <laughs> I think actually, sorry, just yeah. to, to highlight this part, it's even um, borne out by the language used by recruiters. They started calling them rock stars or ninjas and like things like this. And I felt really uncomfortable with that. I'm like, this is this glorification of like some sort of pathological uh, <laughs> focus on just one <laughs> thing. And I'm like, um... And then, you know, you hear people who would, I would say like, yeah, they're probably like coding rock stars and ninjas and they're nothing like that. They have yeah. a deep interest in a lot of other things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I think it's also this perception maybe in some ways, uh, a, it's a good conversation to have because it's the way we also, as um, uh, as employees we or workers, we package ourselves to uh employers uh, or companies um but at the end of the day you know like uh, the reality is a, is a lot more nuanced and and uh, i've actually never I, I don't know i think yeah i, I would say I've, I've never met a a I don't know if I would be comfortable to say that, but yeah, I would, I've never met somebody who's like pathologically obsessed with just like one thing, one technology to the point that they're one dimensional. <laughs> um, but then again, I, I mean, like this is why I'm wavering between these two things because, you know, I go to meetups as well. And then there are people who can be really, really dogmatic and I wanted to ask, like, what happened? <laughs> what happened in their work experience that made them decide that, like, functional programming is the right thing and everything should be like that. And that this whole product that they're working on has to be rewritten in Elixir or something. <laughs> yeah, that that would be, like, a very interesting conversation. Like, yeah, what, what happened? <laughs> really, just to... Um, I mean, just asking this question alone probably wouldn't like lead to much, but um, still, like, yeah, very interesting point. Yeah, I also think it comes. It connects back to to what you mentioned about empathy, because uh, maybe so you know the way people commonly think about empathy, and the way I would like knee jerk reaction would think about it would be like, yeah, how to put myself in another person's shoes, um, but I think. 
part of it is also just being aware that your own experience or your own conception of someone else's experience cannot possibly be representative of your target audience, the users out there, etc. Um, yeah, and and that your whatever your experience is, there are hundred millions of different other experiences and that people are informed and influenced by by their experiences people um so i know like the 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 topic of diversity comes up a lot um and it, it's like i was reading this book the trillion dollar code um well basically uh, there was this one snippet there where uh, a woman was invited to sit on the table where some other men were asked to sit at the back. And then, and then the coach asked like, yeah, so how does it feel? And he's like, it sucks. <laughs> and then he was like, yeah, you know, and like this woman has to do that every single time. Um, and maybe, uh, maybe because I'm a woman and that I got steeped into the topic and uh, no, not maybe because like, because I am uh, a woman and there's this whole support network that I'm very fortunate to have access to in Berlin uh, of women in tech and the challenges they face. Uh, it's a continuous learning process that I'm very conscious about uh, to, to try and see which other uh, issues of diversity intersects with my own concerns. Um, like more, more recently, I, I went to a, a tech meetup and learned that there was even a standard for web accessibility. Uh, I did not know this existed. <laughs> and then I started thinking about my own projects where I'm like, nope, uh, seven years in tech, I never encountered this uh, and I never brought it up either. So uh, I think there's always this opportunity to um, expand your understanding of empathy and ways of applying it so uh, it, it's also not like it highly it doesn't even depend whether you're employed as a specialist or as a generalist right it's like kind of it's more related to your own uh, yeah well i wouldn't say, yeah not identity but like the way you value your work um yeah yeah that also makes a lot of sense um i w i would like to get get back to um like this whole topic of like what is what makes how do you make the most impact the biggest impact and and so on um and um what we get valued for um by an organization um and yeah I, over the years i've i've met a lot of testers q a people um and um, I know there's an ongoing, like, decade-old discussion about, like, what is the one, what is the other, and so on. I don't want to go there, but rather, um, yeah, most of them, like, where it felt to me that, um, yeah, many told me that, like, they're, they feel like their value, um, their contribution to a product or a project is not, not so much valued, or they feel not, not so much valued. And, um, yeah, I, w I was wondering, like, if you shared that experience too if you also um experienced that and maybe even if you yeah have a, like a theory on 
why that is like um why might that come up that these maybe generalist or tester um maybe it is the, like the same topic again i'm generalist versus specialist but maybe it's not um so yeah totally interested in your opinion yeah i can i can see how it would connect i would say yes i've definitely experienced it i probably still am experiencing it like on average uh, just based on years of experience uh, yeah i would say a senior qa engineer no qa engineers in general would probably earn like 10k less in berlin i can't i can't speak of other because you know uh, i don't know what the averages are there um But yeah, on average, a QA engineer would earn about 10,000 euros less than a software developer. This is based purely on anecdote. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. Uh, well, yeah, that's fine. And I'm asking your opinion. Yeah, so that's fine. Yeah, yeah. There are some numbers to, to back it up, uh, like looking at uh, Payscale, Glassdoor, LinkedIn. So, but obviously they're also from what's collected um, from their users. Um, I, I would say, but okay, there's like, that's the monetary part, right? And sometimes that's highly dependent on how well you negotiate. Um, uh, but that also comes down to the type of, uh, yeah, the type of value that the organization would be willing to bestow upon your work uh, now, now that you mention it just to interrupt here shortly like i've never heard of a qa rock star or uh, a tester no. ninja <laughs> so that that yeah, probably speaks volumes in itself then already yeah that's true you'd be more like a, the common one is the ambassador or something because <laughs> <laughs> like you have to be a diplomat because uh, you're gonna step on a lot of toes <laughs> basically you're, going, you're just there you're employed to like complain and uh, say like piss off everyone basically <laughs> <laughs> if if you're not valued yeah that's then true. you piss off people by pointing out errors um, in a way no, no, it, um i mean that's one way to look at it yeah sorry I, it's it's connected to that because uh i think a lot there was a drive over the years to to change the perception of qas or or testers themselves as actually um people who know technology because before you say tester and they're just thinking yeah somebody who's like a click monkey. Um, and I wouldn't say that's a bad way to start QA. It's especially if you don't have any technical training, it's one way to, to start. But I, I've met plenty of uh, QA engineers or QA professionals in general who are steeped into Uh, very deep tech topics. I, I would say, like not not just in the sense of like uh, oh, um, like not just about architecture or or even problems in in the engine management of engineering, but also looking into like being interested in the programming language that they're working in. Um, so, and these are all interests that connect to their work but are not so visible because they don't have that label of software engineer and then at the end of the day you might encounter a manager who asks yeah what's your contribution to 
to the company and you're like, well, your, your product is working, right? I'm like, yeah, but like, have you written any lines of that product? And then you're like, uh, well, I mean, I wrote some tests and, and then and it all goes into, um, yeah. yeah. And then obviously it's like, it, it, yeah, it just goes into what makes the product. Um, uh, if you decide that it's the code, then, then that already gives a, a sort of a bias. Yeah. Um, I've experienced that also, like, um, that reminds me that operations people like, I don't know, DevOps, infrastructure, whatever you want to call it. Um, they, they have a similar problem in that it's changed a bit with all cloud and infrastructure as code, um, paradigms coming up, but still it's like, okay, what's your contribution to a product? They, they also get asked that, that question. And, and then it's like, yeah. As long as people are not complaining, you're doing a good job. So as long as the stuff is up and running, um, yeah, you're doing a good job. So and you only ever get exactly. noticed in not of course all um, organizations, but in some when stuff goes down and then you're blamed. So that's also like a very unthankful um, kind of role. Um, but yeah, maybe to to kind of like turn turn away a little bit from all the <laughs> this negative point of view and only bitching about like how things are broken um um i'm i'm wondering like what your view what your opinion is on how can we grow nurture support um a team and an organization where all these different kind of contributions are are valued highly um like or just valued let's start low um like where you don't get asked that question, but everybody is like, yeah, we all, of course, work together and people have different contrib different kinds of contributions and be it design, product, user research, UX, QA, operations, development, whatever, everybody is contributing to the overall goal. So, yeah. How, how can we make, how can we shape these organizations and move them more into this direction? What do you think? Well, that's, I'm actually trying to figure that out myself, especially um, in my new position, because uh, there is still this outdated view of what QAs do. Um, I think, I think it kind of go, comes back to being a, what makes a great company. Um, and that's really tough in the sense that very rarely would you get a unanimous answer other than the vague, well, uh, it's great to work there. <laughs> um, uh, and then I think I, I have to think about it, what's particular in tech? Um, because there's... I, I would say that almost everyone who works in tech has the drive to grow and continuously learn. Um, and there's also the, the pressure that comes with it actually to, to remain employable. You also have to constantly learn about new things. So it kind of feeds into itself. Um, but 
I, w- I would say the big part right now of what I've been reading and even hearing in different organizations is this notion of psychological safety. Um, because that's when, when people are allowed to be vulnerable, to face up to their own shortcomings um, and not be highlighted as a personal fault or a personal attribute, but somehow that the rest that you, you can, I like you can improve with the rest of the organization. Um, then that's when people feel the most productive. You, you know, we one one part of it is maybe like psychologically, it's um, everyone almost always like the job that they're good at. I don't really sub, uh, subscribe to this idea. Like, yeah, your like your passion is not work or whatever. Like sometimes, or actually most of the time you tend to like what you're good at. And, but parts of it is that you don't want to be limited at what you're good at now. You, you also want to expand that zone of maybe it's a comfort zone or like a zo- learning zone where you're at that boundaries of discomfort and you're trying to learn something new, but not get frustrated by it. And a lot of these things come when come easier when you have an organization that just doesn't see you as this like overworked drone worker this worker drone right that you just have to constantly churn and deliver but that your scope for engaging with the topics around you is much bigger and that your time is time is also given to you so an example would be like if you are a junior developer, you know that you have a lot of things to learn, but hopefully they're not just giving you things like HTML, CSS tasks, right? That you're allowed to discover something about the infrastructure of the product to raise questions about what the business is the business logic, right? Or what's our business impact? Um, so, so you're not so huge in, in just like, Oh, I just need to learn this component library for what I'm building. Um, then it, that removes that sheen off of what makes working in tech great that your, your creative tendencies are able to, uh, I don't know, that your role actually supports your creative tendencies. Um, or as a QA, you're just not like, uh, let me just test this or deliver this. But you're able to ask like, hey, I've seen that there's this cluster of problems that keep reappearing in this part of the system. What's under there? Do I have the time to actually look what's under there? Or do I even have the time to learn about the technologies that would help me debug better or yeah, just have a better conversation with a backend developer when they start talking about something. Um, and all of this plays in part of how your day-to-day would day-to-day work would look like. Uh, that part of it is you you feel credible when you talk about a topic, but also that there are a lot you're at some point in the future, you're able to take on a lot more responsibilities. And then 
that's the kind of value that you can actually offer a company, not the what you have now, but what you can grow into in the future. And I think a lot of companies, especially startups, are quite short-sighted because, yeah, they have VC capital, they need to deliver this, um, and they're not... I don't know. They're, they're just not the most optimal way to grow into a career. Even though I've been working with a lot of startups and I've had a career, <laughs> uh, but a lot of it is, you know, you have to, there's, yeah, you, you have to fight. You, you need to like, really like, it's like tooth extraction <laughs> to get the resources <laughs> that you need. Um, whereas you know, there are a lot of examples of great organizations that really do support their own workers. Uh, I would say one that I've heard of is Basecamp, where there's like a high um, level of worker satisfaction there. I'm trying to think of an example in Berlin, but maybe I shouldn't name any because... No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's 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 super super helpful, and um, also I think very very true. Um, I I might expand it a little bit. Um, like um, psychological safety. Um, even I don't have like an official definition right now. Um, top of my head, but um, what you said was totally true. I'd expand it a bit in that regard. That um, you're also empowered or feel comfortable as an individual in a team in an organization to point out yeah challenges problems tensions um where you see like okay there we're not doing similar how you said to um as qa person you see a cluster of problems arising in that area um in some area and then yeah and so similar to that um that you're empowered and feel comfortable pointing out like okay here we always kind of like i don't know fight about the or argue a lot about like this or that system and that really i don't know is not, is not helping us move forward even though um yeah it's important to us and so um yeah i can go into or put an emphasis in a way on a part of a system or on a part of how we collaborate and that um yeah, and that kind of like can shift in what what do we value um, as an as an organization, and that it's also okay, or it, that it can be valuable for anybody to yeah be in different roles, work in different roles, um, even though it's my, maybe not my my job description or my official role. Yeah. I think the way I would describe it is like um, one of the reasons why I enjoyed working in startups is this flexibility. Yeah. Um, but that's also the challenge, right? Because you're, you know that you're going to be underpaid, <laughs> <laughs> but you're going to be wearing a lot of hats. So that means you have a lot of these opportunities for learning. And there's this whole um, mentality of working as a group because you're such a small organization and you're trying to do this um, 
to deliver this what you presume to be a one big thing and I think it's it's when organizations tend to falter when growing from that kind of culture to a much bigger one um like you you can't really retain that like small organization uh, like uh you know we're what do you call it together in the trenches kind of feeling um and it's not necessary but what you have to sort of still nurture in a growing organization is this feeling that you are uh, that you have cues that you belong that you're just not this worker drone Mm. um and and i don't know it's like it's sometimes I think it's okay to be a worker drone. <laughs> Some people are complete. I've met people who are completely fine by that because they have something. They know that they have something to go home to. That's sort of like that fulfills them. Um, and where they feel valued, like when where they where, feel valued, where they feel exactly. their contribution is valued. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So it, it's it's sort of. I think the question of. Uh, be or like the issue of being valued comes up a lot when it comes to work precisely because we spend a lot of time at work um and because there's also this concern of uh, i would say just bring it it's like this concern of employability um that can I mean, you can't just limit it in your work hours, right? Your hobbies, even sometimes your identity tends to form around what would be appealing to other employers. We have this this joke about CV-driven development in some tech teams because it doesn't make sense to use the tool, but it's nice on your CV for your next job. And there's a lot of... like, So there's this other sort of issue that comes up that is if affecting both your work life and your personal life uh, in in so much as that your time for engaging in things that uh, make you feel valued could be limited um so say you don't feel valued at work and you have very little time to invest in your hobbies because you're concerned about learning that new technology. Uh, and then it, it's it's a lot harder, and I would imagine it's a lot more frustrating for tech workers. Maybe this is also why there's a high rate of burnout in tech. Um, yeah, that I, I can yeah. imagine that. Uh, there are probably studies about that, but yeah, I can imagine that that's a big part, um, at least in mm-hmm. why why there is such a high rate of burnout, as you say. Yes, <sighs> yeah. So 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 much to go into. I mean, that that alone mm-hmm. again would be like at least um, several hours of um, talking talking yes. more. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think we've touched upon a lot of very yeah, very interesting things, true. and we even didn't even touch like the five other that we thought we could touch upon. So, um, yeah, that, that was very, very interesting, um, conversation. And um, I thank you a lot for that, April. That was very, very awesome. Um, yeah, maybe we can continue the one or the other topic at some, in some other episode. 
Sure. You know me, I have a lot of things to <laughs> <Yeah>. say. <laughs> I just have a lot of things. I have a lot of feelings. Yeah. Opinions. <laughs> Opinions, <laughs> yes. Also, yeah. um, I, I can also provide that. So yeah, sounds like a good match. Cool. Thank you very much, April, again, um, for taking the time talking to me. And um, yeah, see you next time. All right. Thank you. Thank you.